I can say with near certainty that Billy the Kid met his demise at Fort Sumner at the hands of Pat Garrett on the night of July 14, 1881. Literally all credible evidence points in this direction, and if you'll allow me just a moment, I'll prove it. That said, it is important to note that the kid's entire life is shrouded in mystery, especially his final moments. Bob Bo's Bell said it best. Everything about this young man is open to question, including the date of his birth. From birth to death, almost every facet of his life is completely undocumented. As such, over the past 140 plus years, a certain amount of myth has built up around Billy the Kid. Legends and fables that have become so ingrained within his story that it can be extremely daunting to differentiate between what's true and what's not. You know the cliche, right? That famous quote from the man who shot Liberty Valance. When legend becomes fact, print the legend. And it's these legends, both in print and on the big screen, some of which are anecdotal and some just fabricated wholesale out of thin air, that, in my opinion, cause the most confusion when it comes to Billy the Kid's life and death. Now here shortly I will explain why I'm so certain that Garrett killed the kid, but first I think it would be beneficial to dispel a few of these myths, particularly the ones centered around Billy's passing, stories that are widely believed but have zero bearing in the truth. One of the most prevalent being that nobody but Pat Garrett and his deputies saw the kid's body and that they buried him almost immediately, thus denying prying eyes of the true identity of the deceased. I can't tell you how often I hear this. And it is wholly, thoroughly, and completely false. Here's what we know. The kid was killed at Fort Sumner sometime around midnight on the night of July 14th. The following day, there was a coroner's jury investigation. Billy was given into the care of Fort Sumner residents who cleaned and dressed him and placed him in a coffin. And later that day, said coffin was stuck in the dirt. I promise I will share how we know this to be the case, and we'll even name quite a few witnesses. But first, let's go ahead and put to rest myth number two, that Garrett's own deputy, John W. Poe, claimed that Pat killed the wrong man. The damning quote in question, as written by John W. Poe himself, goes as follows. He stood by me close to the wall at the side of the door and said to me, that was the kid that came in there onto me, and I think I have got him. I said, Pat, the kid would not have come to this place. You shot the wrong man. This is often taken out of context as if it's some sort of smoking gun when in fact, it's the opposite. Like you just heard me say, these are Poe's own words that he wrote in his own book published in 1933 titled The Death of Billy the Kid. The Death of Billy the Kid. You can find it online for free if you'd like to give it a read, archive.org. But just two paragraphs later, Coe writes, quote, The darkness was such that we were unable to see what the conditions were on the inside or what the result of the shooting had been. After some rather forceful persuasion, indeed, we induced Maxwell to procure a light. He finally brought an old-fashioned tallow candle from his mother's room at the far end of the building. He placed the candle on the windowsill from the outside. This enabled us to get a view of the inside, where we saw a man lying stretched upon his back, dead, in the middle of the room, with a six-shooter lying at his right hand and a butcher knife at his left. Upon examining the body, we found it to be that of Billy the Kid. End of quote. It's very clear that Poe's initial, you killed the wrong man statement, was spoken in a moment of confusion and excitement. So-called fog of war, right? Tense situation, gunshots are fired just mere feet away, and the next thing he knows, Pete Maxwell and Pat Garrett come running out of the house. What Poe was describing was his initial reaction of stunned disbelief, followed by reality. Once again, quote, 
Upon examining the body, we found it to be that of Billy the Kid, end quote. I do not see how anybody, after reading that full text, could ever misinterpret it as some sort of confession, especially considering that the entire book, written by Poe, is about how they killed Billy. Myth number three. If Pat Garrett really killed the kid, there would have been a photo. Now, I hate to repeat myself yet again, but we can argue about this till the cows come home. No, it was not a given that all dead outlaws had their pictures taken. In fact, the majority did not. No, there was not a photographer present at Fort Sumner when Billy was killed. Hell, the town didn't even have a doctor. And no, a picture was not necessary for Pat Garrett to collect the reward or to prove that he had killed the kid, as evidenced by him literally receiving the reward. I know we're so used to everyone having a camera in their pockets at all times now via smartphones, but this was not the case in 1881. You know what else didn't exist? Automobiles. For Garrett to have left Fort Sumner and traveled to the nearest town with a photographer, likely Las Vegas, and then return, would have been at minimum a five-day round trip. It would have been easier for Pat just to load the kid up on top of a horse and carry his body with him to the capital. A swollen, putrid, getting nice and ripe in the July heat, decomposing dead human body. And the only reason he would have possibly needed to do that, or to have a picture taken, would have been to prove that he did indeed kill the kid. And as you'll soon hear, Pat got all the proof he needed without doing either of these things. We'll expose a few more misconceptions in just a moment, but as promised, let's talk witnesses. This is a key ingredient to the whole shebang and how, in my opinion, we can be so positive that the kid was truly killed in 1881. Contrary to popular belief, many people saw Billy both immediately following the shooting and throughout that next day. Now, let me just point out, I'm not going to name everyone. I think there's 48 people who historians have been able to identify by name. I don't have all the resources at my disposal, but I will drop a couple of links down in the show notes if you want to do some additional research. The first is an article written by Josh Slatton, or Slayton, my bad bro if I'm mispronouncing your name, from the Billy the Kid Coalition titled, Were People Allowed to View Billy's Dead Body? In which I believe he names a few more people than I'm about to. And the other is a very thorough petition from historian Dr. Robert Stahl, further expanding on the various eyewitnesses. You can also check out a book that I recently received, written by David G. Thomas, titled Billy the Kid's Grave. Mr. Thomas is an excellent researcher who also does a pretty damn good job at discussing the evidence. But just to give you a general idea, I will do a quick rundown. Not naming everybody, but I do think you'll start to get the picture. First off, you got Pete Maxwell, obviously. It was in his bedroom where the kid was shot. Pete's statement was taken by the coroner's jury the following day, and it jived with the official version given by Garrett and Deputy Poe. And Pete did not live alone. His mother, Donna Luz, was allegedly one of the first ones on the scene after Garrett fired that fatal shot. As was Paulita Maxwell, Pete's sister and Billy's alleged girlfriend, along with her little sister, Odia. They all saw Billy splayed out on the ground, dead as a doornail. And this was just minutes after the shooting. And let's not forget Delvinia Maxwell either. She lived at the home too and cursed Garrett up and down for what he had done. Both she and Paulita would give numerous interviews in the decades to come, affirming what happened. Delvinia even signed an affidavit in 1926, just a year before her death. Then there's Milner Rudolph and his son Charles. Neither were present at Fort Sumner at the time of the killing, but they both arrived the next morning from nearby Sunnyside. Milner not only knew the kid, but he was also head of that coroner's jury that examined the body and interviewed Pete Maxwell. 
His son Charles Rudolph was also very familiar with Billy, having been a member of the posse that helped arrest him back at Stinkin' Springs. Charles wrote of what he witnessed there at Fort Sumner following the shooting in his journal, which would later be published. Now, real quick about that coroner's jury. This was not something that was done just for shits and giggles. As far as the New Mexico territorial government was concerned, a signed verdict by an officially appointed coroner's jury was accepted as sufficient legal evidence of a person's death. Make no bones about it, Pat Garrett wanted this jury to provide him with an official document proving that he had killed the kid. Now that said, by law, neither he nor his deputies or any other members of law enforcement were allowed to appoint, lead, or even participate in a coroner's jury. That's why Pat sent for justice of the peace Alejandro Segura the next morning. And it was Alejandro who would assemble the jury and appoint their leader, who I just mentioned, Milner Rudolph. What I failed to touch on, however, was that Milner was also a successful businessman, former legislator, and a sympathizer for the Santa Fe Ring. And in addition to appointing the jury, Milner would also send a letter, separate from the jury findings, to the Las Vegas Daily Gazette, describing the event, what he saw, i.e. the body, and confirming that yes, Billy the Kid had been killed by Pat Garrett. You can find that in the July 15, 1881 edition of the Gazette, and you better believe that a written statement from someone like Milner Rudolph would have carried a lot of weight, especially among those who wanted Billy dead. And just like Milner, everybody else who was a member of that coroner's jury personally knew Billy the Kid, and either lived at Fort Sumner or in the immediate vicinity. There were a total of six, I will name them all throughout this episode, but I just want to make it clear that these were members of the community, not just some stooges that Pat Garrett dug up somewhere. Moving on to other witnesses. Freshly discharged U.S. Army Private George Miller is what I consider to be a pretty interesting case. He was just spending the night at Fort Sumner and did not know Billy the Kid, at least not by sight. Be that as it may, his report, found in the July 18th edition of the Las Vegas Optic, as given by him, shed some light on the infamous evening. Miller was startled awake by the gunshots and heard cries from the locals that Billy the Kid had been killed and that Garrett was the one who killed him. Milner described seeing the kid's body and even helping to dig the grave the next day. And even though he did not know Billy from a hole in the wall, he heard from countless residents about how that dead man that was causing such a ruckus was the notorious bandit called The Kid. It was literally the talk of the town. Jose Silva and his son Jesus also saw the kid's lifeless form. Jesus even helped remove the body out of Pete's house and would later assist Private Miller and others in digging the grave. His daddy Jose served on the aforementioned coroner's jury. Both men knew Billy the Kid very well. And Jesus' first-hand account would ultimately be published in the July 13, 1938 edition of the Clovis News Journal. Matter of fact, Jesus Silva lived long enough to hear rumors about the fake Billy the Kid imposters and was adamant that his friend Billy was among the dead. Other members of the coroner's jury included Lorenzo Yarmillo, Antonio Saavedra, Pedro Lucero, and of course, Saval Gutierrez, Pat Garrett's brother-in-law. Now, despite being related to Pat by marriage, Saval had been very close to Billy, but I'm not sure how much of this was out of fear or allegiance. One version of the kid's final moments has him relaxing there at the Gutierrez home before Saval's wife, Celsa, sent him to go fetch some meat for supper. Speaking of Celsa, she too witnessed the kid in death. Like I just said, she's the one who gave him that butcher knife that he was allegedly carrying, a knife that Deputy John W. Poe would later return to her. Her son, Candido, would also sign an affidavit years later, swearing that he saw Billy take the butcher knife from his mama, Celsa, just minutes before the killing. 
Pakawanea was another longtime resident of Fort Sumner, knew Billy well, and would later state, in an interview, that there could be no mistake that Billy was dead. Paco also, many years later, would identify others who were at Fort Sumner at the time. Francisco and Juan Medina, Cruz Trujillo, someone named Sir Bacher, and a few others I've already mentioned, who could all vouch for the details as to the kid's death at the hands of Garrett. Not only that, but Paco helped George Miller and Jesus Silva dig the grave. Also assisting in that endeavor was Vicente Otero, who additionally served as pallbearer and supposedly was one of the last to see Billy's body before the coffin was nailed shut. Then there's Fort Sumner resident Marie Lobato. She too viewed the kid's corpse, as did Ursula Baca. Ursula was just nine years old at the time, but would sign an affidavit years later stating that she attended Billy's funeral. Genio Garcia was another witness, and he also assisted in dressing the kid when the women were done cleaning the body. Then there's Nasaria Yerby and Abrana Garcia. They both lived outside of town, but did arrive in time to see Billy before he was buried. How about Mike Cosgrove, an employee of the U.S. Mail who was at Fort Sumner on business? His brother actually lived there, and Mike gave his account in person three days later in Las Vegas, which can be found in the archives of the Las Vegas Daily Gazette. Then there was a miner by the name of Frank Lloyd, also a witness, as was Juan Giddings, who lived on the outskirts of town and claimed to have even spoken to the kid hours before his death. Hopefully I'm not boring you too much here. As you can see, aside from Garrett and his two deputies, we also have dozens of others. People who not only knew Billy the Kid while he was still alive and sucking in air, but also saw his lifeless body with their own eyes, either while it was still on the floor there in Pete's room or in the coffin before the funeral. Some of them had helped to prepare the kid for burial. Most, if not all, would then follow the casket to the graveyard for a final adios. I want to be very clear here. This is not just us taking Pat Garrett's word for it. At least one of those people I just mentioned kept a journal. Others were interviewed by authors and newspapermen and historians. Some wrote letters. And others still gave many statements over the years. Hell, some of them even wrote their own books. You may not care too much for Pat Garrett. You may think that he was a liar or just an all-around bad person. But like it or not, his claim that he shot and killed Billy the Kid is corroborated by all of those people I just named. And then some. Fort Sumner had a population of nearly 300 in 1881. So I think it's safe to assume that there were more than a few additional witnesses whose names just weren't documented. And out of all of them, not a single person who was at Fort Sumner that July night or the next day would ever come forth and claim that the entire thing was a hoax or that Billy the Kid was not killed. You have anecdotal stories, which I will address here in a minute, but as far as any of these eyewitnesses coming forth publicly and recanting or changing their tune, it never happened. I know this may not jive with what you've heard or read on the internet, but please, just hear me out. We're almost done. It's worth mentioning that in the years following, when Pat Garrett would run for office or when he was vying for that presidential appointment, and there was a ton of opposition, not a single one of his avowed enemies ever tried to make the claim that Pat did not kill the kid. And believe me, Pat was thoroughly smeared in the papers, called everything from a drunk to an infidel, and they even made fun of his wife. But nobody ever questioned what happened to Billy there at Fort Sumner. This was a non-issue in New Mexico for decades. Now let's circle back to that coroner's jury report. It's my understanding that there were two of them. The first written in Spanish by jury foreman Alejandro Segura, signed by other members of the jury, and delivered to the prosecuting attorney of the 1st Judicial District, who also happened to be the New Mexico Attorney General, William Breeden. There are photos of it. If you want to check it out, it has been translated. 
and it states in no uncertain terms that Segura and the other members of the jury saw Billy's dead body, they interviewed Pete Maxwell and took his statement, and they determined that Garrett was the one who killed the kid. This was very much an official, real document. Segura did make a copy in English for Sheriff Garrett, which was also signed by the members of the jury and also a legal and official document. It's what Pat would send to Santa Fe in order to collect the reward. Why didn't he bring the original? Well, apparently he had no legal authority to take possession of it. That was Segura's job, and Mr. Segura did his duty, like I said a moment ago, delivering it to the proper office in accordance to law. That said, Pat's English copy was sent to Territorial Acting Governor William Rich, along with a letter written by Garrett, both of which were printed in the July 23rd edition of the Las Cruces Rio Grande Republican. And this coroner's jury report was sufficient. In other words, no extra or additional proof of Billy's death was necessary. There was no need to take a picture of the kid's corpse or haul him all the way to Santa Fe, or even down to Lincoln, as one listener suggested. There was no doubt from anyone in the territorial government that Billy the Kid was dead. How do we know this? Well, because Pat Garrett was awarded the money in full. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, I am referring to that $500 reward that former Governor Lou Wallace offered for any person or persons who arrested the kid in lieu of, quote, satisfactory proof of identity, end quote. There was a delay, however, and Pat was not immediately paid this money. I think this is where a lot of the confusion comes from. And it all came down to a technicality. The original notice was worded in a manner that made it unclear whether Governor Wallace was obligated to pay for it out of his own pocket or if it fell upon the government of New Mexico to do so. You can find documents, newspaper reports, and official correspondence all showing what I'm saying to be true. You can even read statements from both Governor Sheldon and New Mexico Attorney General Breeden affirming their belief that Garrett killed the kid. Once the territorial legislators actually met again in person for a new session, they voted very quickly and unanimously to award this bounty to Garrett. There is zero indication that anyone at any level of government doubted that Pat killed Billy or that anyone questioned the integrity of the coroner's jury report. The only question was who was responsible for paying the money. Even the official legislative act states that the hesitation was due to a technicality. I'm not going to put you to sleep by reading the entire thing, but the pertinent text goes as follows. Garrett is justly entitled to the above reward and payment thereof has been refused upon a technicality. Therefore, be it enacted by the Legislative Assembly of the Territory of New Mexico, the Territorial Auditor is hereby authorized to draw a warrant upon the Territorial Treasurer of the Territory of New Mexico in favor of Pat Garrett for the sum of $500. Approved. February 18th, 1882. Full disclosure, there was also some debate as to whether Garrett was due the money on account of killing the kid rather than arresting him as the original bounty specified. Territorial Governor Sheldon clarified this on February 14th, 1882, when he wrote, quote, I am of the opinion that he, Pat, is entitled to the payment. He could not technically comply with the terms of the reward because when he met the kid in Maxwell's room, it is very certain that one or the other would be killed. It was not a reward, the payment of which depended on conviction. The kid had been convicted and was under sentence to be hanged. Garrett was in pursuit with an intention to capture if it could be done normally, but under the circumstances of their meeting, capture was out of the question. End quote. In addition to receiving the $500 bounty, Garrett was also given a small fortune by grateful private citizens. 
I think when it was all said and done, the sheriff has something like $7,000 to show for his efforts. Some of this money came from regular hardworking folks, and some of it came from very powerful people, members of the Santa Fe ring, and the types that would not be happy to find out that the entire thing was faked. So there you have it. Enough proof for the government and the rich and powerful to pony up money. And I think that's saying something. It may not be sufficient for you right now in the year of our Lord 2023, but it most certainly was for New Mexico, the government, the press, everybody in 1881. So just a quick summary of everything discussed so far. There were numerous eyewitnesses, both members of law enforcement and regular citizens, who saw Billy the Kid after he was shot and killed. These witnesses shared their stories through multiple avenues over the course of several decades, and none of them ever recanted, nor did Garrett or either of his deputies. There was an official coroner's jury appointed by a lawful justice of the peace, which followed proper protocol, and their finding that Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid was considered a legal document. And finally, the territory of New Mexico, including the Santa Fe Ring, were absolutely convinced that Pat killed Billy, and thus awarded him the $500 reward and then some. None of what I just said is my own opinion. There are sources, documentation, reports, letters, interviews, you name it, backing it all up. Now, despite all of that, if it was still just some big conspiracy, that only leaves us with two scenarios that I can imagine. Either A, Garrett fabricated the entire ordeal, nobody was shot, and if there was a funeral, it was with an empty casket, or B, Garrett shot the wrong man, and then they claimed that it was the kid and stuck him in the dirt before anyone outside of Fort Sumner could find out. And in both of these scenarios, Billy lives to see another day. Of course, if this was the case, then everybody at Fort Sumner would have had to have gone along with the story for the rest of their lives. We'll tackle that in just a moment, but what would Garrett's motivation have been to fake Billy's death? Their past friendship, perhaps? One that, according to those closest to Billy and Pat, was severed the moment Garrett accepted the job as sheriff. A friendship that saw Pat shoot and kill Tom Folliard, and then, very shortly thereafter, do the same to Charlie Bowdry, thinking that it was the kid. Eh, it doesn't seem likely, but let's pretend that Pat had a change of heart. If he just let Billy skin on out with a pinky promise to pretty please never commit any more crimes and just to hide out for the rest of his days... I think we can all agree that that would make Pat Garrett about the most gullible person on the planet. You remember towards the end of Young Guns 2 when Billy tells Pat that he could just let him go? I could walk out that door and head straight for old Mexico. You could say you killed me and no one would ever know. And what's Pat's reply? You'd come back, like a damn nightmare, show up in Arizona stealing cows and they'd stone me. And that is exactly what would have happened on both accounts. There is no way in hell that Garrett could have ever possibly believed that the kid would have simply disappeared. He'd have been staking his own life and his future, held the future of his family, on the word of a young criminal. Hey, we'll get back to the story in just a moment, but first, I gotta be honest with you. I'm doing this full-time now. The Wild West extravaganza is, as we speak, my job. And to tell you the truth, this is sort of a gamble. I'm gambling on myself, and I'm gambling on you. To make this work, and to continue bringing you true tales from the wild and woolly west, in an unfiltered and uncensored fashion, I'm going to need your support. And at this moment, the absolute best way you can support the Wild West extravaganza is by becoming a member of Into History. Into History is a podcast subscription channel made by history lovers for history lovers. 
Not only will you get to listen to the Wild West Extravaganza ad-free, but you'll gain early access before anyone else. You'll also get bonus content. There is currently Wild West Extravaganza content on Into History that you cannot hear anywhere else, not even on Patreon. And there's a lot more to come. You'll also get to participate in the book club, the community forum, the upcoming live streaming events, and best of all, you won't have to hear my annoying ass voice break into the middle of a story like I'm doing right now. And guess what? You also get everything I just mentioned from all the other shows in the Into History universe, offering the same perks. Come on, what are you waiting for? Go to intohistory.com forward slash Wild West Extra. That's intohistory.com forward slash Wild West Extra to become a member today. I love you, and thank you very much for assisting me in helping to keep the Old West alive. Back to the show. Okay, fine. So maybe Garrett just killed the wrong man on accident and claimed that it was the kid. Once again, as sure as the sun rises, the kid would have returned to New Mexico or just got up to his old tricks up in Texas or wherever, at which point Pat would have been up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Also, we're once more confronted with the dozens upon dozens of witnesses who swore they saw the kid's body. Unless, of course, they were in on it. And, you know, so long as not a single one of them ever changed their tune later in life, which is highly improbable. But let's make believe that happened. Once again, you gotta ask yourself why. If Pat really did allow Billy to escape, why did everyone there at Fort Sumner help him to keep the secret? Well, maybe they did so in order to protect the kid. And as long as they kept their mouths shut and the authorities believed Billy was dead, then he'd be safe, right? Okay, but for that to work, everyone at Fort Sumner would also have had to have been a friend of Billy's, with his best interest at heart, and I do not believe that to be the case. Some of the locals had grown weary of Billy's presence, especially after the killing of Jimmy Carlisle, and a few of them, like rancher Manuel Brazil, had assisted Garrett in locating the kid. Some of the witnesses were people who had helped Pat arrest Billy back in Stinking Springs, and even Beaver Smith was suspecting of aiding Garrett. Not to mention all the heat that Pete Maxwell would take in the years to come for his part. Also, let's not forget the husbands of those women who Billy was purported to have been diddling in the orchard. So no, not everyone in and around Fort Sumner loved Billy the Kid with an undying affection. Many, if not most, did, but not all. And all it takes is for one person to spill the beans for the entire hoax to come unraveled. Perhaps everybody agreed to the lie just out of fear of Pat Garrett. That doesn't make much sense either, as many of these witnesses would outlive the sheriff by quite a long time. Surely, with his passing, at least one of them would have come clean and exposed him as a fraud. And don't call me Shirley. What it all comes down to is credible, documented evidence versus theories and anecdotal stories. Stuff like a guy's brother who was neighbors with the granddaughter of Polita Maxwell, who swore that she once told her chiropractor that Billy the Kid escaped. Unfortunately, that stuff just does not fly. Or here's a great example. You may have heard the one about Pat's widow, Apollinaria, affirming the belief that Garrett shot the wrong man. Okay, but how do we know that Apollinaria said that? Well, it turns out this particular story originates from a guy named Homer Overton. Per NBC News and several other legit news sites I was able to locate with a simple Google search, Mr. Overton stated that when he was nine years old, Garrett's widow told him that the common narrative was a lie and that Pat and Billy killed some drunk that was passed out on the street. They shot him in the face so nobody could recognize him, dressed him in Billy's clothes, and voila! The kid lives to see another day, and the rest of the world just thought he was dead. It's the perfect crime! 
Now, I have to admit this is very intriguing, and it would be huge if true. Here's the thing, though. No disrespect to Mr. Overton, who I think may actually still be alive, but he wasn't there at Fort Sumner in 1881, and neither was Mrs. Garrett for that matter. Overton came forward with this story many, many years after both Pat and Apollinaria were pushing up daisies. All we have to go on is Overton's word alone, without any evidence to back it up. Apollinaria Garrett never came forward publicly and spoke about this to journalists or authors or researchers or historians, nothing like that. And she instead, if we're to believe Mr. Overton, told it to a nine-year-old boy. This is what I mean by anecdotal. And all of the other stories contradicting the idea that Pat killed Billy are almost exactly the same. Am I flat out saying that Mr. Overton made this tale up? No, I'm not. But I am saying there's no way at all to verify it. And due to that, it is purely anecdotal. Now, just in case you're not real sure what I mean by anecdotal, that's just another way of saying stories that people tell based on what's happened to them. That said, just because something is anecdotal does not mean that it's not true. Something can absolutely be factual and anecdotal at the same time. If I were to tell you that my neighbor caught a delivery driver taking a dump on his doorstep, that's anecdotal. Now, I know my neighbor. I doubt he'd have any reason to lie about such a thing, but I still don't have any proof of it to show you, right? But if I did produce a video that my neighbor took from a security camera of said delivery driver taking a crap right in front of his door, then at that point, I've delivered proof, evidence, data to back the story up. It's no longer purely anecdotal. There's also something called argument from anecdote, which is often used by those who claim that Garrett did not kill the kid. Described as a logical fallacy, argument from anecdote is when anecdotal evidence is presented without any other contributory evidence. This type of argument is considered unpersuasive since the anecdote could be made up, misconstructed, or simply be a statistical outlier which is insignificant when further evidence is considered. Now, despite the lack of proof or contributory data, you can and should use anecdotal evidence in the study of history. There are a ton of cultures whose stories are passed down orally, and in some cases, the only evidence you have is purely anecdotal. Like I said, just because something is anecdotal does not mean that it's also a lie. However, when you have a ton of documented evidence and corroborated firsthand eyewitness accounts that are in direct contradiction to the anecdotal, as we do with the death of Billy, then at that point, to me, it's a no-brainer as to which is the most believable. Are the anecdotal stories more fun? Hell yes, they are. I would love an alternate reality where Billy the Kid survived and outlived everybody. Shit, I wish he was still alive right now. But the corroborated evidence strongly suggests otherwise. Now let's go back to my neighbor real quick. Let's say he didn't have that security camera, but instead, everybody who lived in the neighborhood actually witnessed the Code Brown with their own two eyes. They saw the delivery driver walk up, pop a squat, and pinch a loaf right there in front of his door. No video proof, no drone footage, no photographs, but a ton of eyewitnesses who swear that they saw what they saw. Some of them may not be in agreement as to what color shirt the driver was wearing. Others can't remember if he wiped or not. And even the time of the felonious number two is up for debate. Was it before the prices ride or directly after? These discrepancies aside, dozens upon dozens of people are all in agreement of one thing that they did absolutely see a delivery driver leave his van, walk up to my neighbor's front door, and drop a deuce. All except for one guy. A guy who not only doesn't live in the neighborhood, but he wasn't even there when it happened. 
Nevertheless, he comes strolling up after the fact, saying that his cousin told him that she heard from her hairdresser that it was not a delivery driver and that the dookie in question just simply fell out of the sky and landed right there on my neighbor's doorstep. Now you tell me, which version of events are you, as a logical, rational human being, going to believe? The one that all of those eyewitnesses attested to, or the one guy who wasn't there who heard a story from someone who heard it from someone else? This is what we're dealing with when it comes to Billy the Kid. If it wasn't for the abundance of eyewitnesses, many of whom we know by name, who not once wavered from the idea that Pat killed Billy, and if it wasn't for the kid's body being so publicly displayed for hours after his death, then yeah, I do think we would have to pay closer attention to the anecdotal. But as far as the historical documentation goes, Billy the Kid's death at the hands of Pat Garrett is about as provable as we can get without a damn time machine. I mean, I'm not really aware of many other deaths of Old West figures as widely documented as Billy's. Also, you gotta ask yourself why every single historian believes this to be the case. All of them. All of the experts, people who have spent countless hours in libraries and museums studying microfilm and pouring through old documents and letters examining the life of Billy the Kid, they all agree that Garrett killed the kid. Why is that? Are they all in on it? And what's it? What exactly is this alleged conspiracy supposed to still be protecting in 2023? Am I in on it? Now let me just say, in all seriousness, historians can be wrong. Happens all the time. So can podcasters. Let me be 100% transparent. This is your first time listening. I am not a historian, nor do I consider myself an expert of any sort. And furthermore, I do come face to face with my own failures on the daily. But yeah, I do think historians can be biased. There are a ton of examples of the so-called experts distorting the truth to push their own agenda. It is absolutely not an infallible profession, and they are not beyond reproach. A lot of cherry picking when it comes to information, in my opinion. But as far as Billy the Kid goes, there's really not any dissent, and the evidence pretty much just speaks for itself. Everyone agrees, other than certain very fringe groups, who I believe are also guilty of cherry-picking their own data to support their own bias. Or they're just misinformed. If someone only has a passing familiarity with the historical events, maybe they've seen the movies, read a few articles online, maybe watched a YouTube video or two or three, then these anecdotal stories can be very convincing. And you may not even know they're anecdotal. I mean, how could you? The average person does not have time to sift through all the documentation, right? Let's face it. Most people do not know that there were so many eyewitnesses who saw the kid's dead body. Most people do not know that Pat Garrett received the reward money. And I know they don't know because they tell me as much at least a few times a week. Right now, as I'm speaking, someone is shaking their head and muttering about what a dumbass I am simply because what I'm saying goes against their preconceived notions or some video they saw. I get comments and emails all the time from people who are very adamant that both of Garrett's deputies claimed that the entire thing was a hoax or that even Pat Garrett himself made a deathbed confession. How you make a deathbed confession after being shot in the head, I don't know. But yeah, there are people who believe this stuff, which I don't blame them. This is what they were told. And then they in turn repeat it. And the more it's repeated, the more it's accepted as the truth. This is not a knock on anybody. This is just the reality of the situation. You don't know what you don't know, right? Not everybody has read the books. I certainly haven't read all of them, not by a long shot. How can I personally, Josh, know something that I've never researched? I can't. And how do I even know if the research is correct? I know for a fact that I've gotten stuff wrong in the most recent series I did on Pat Garrett, 
and in the prior series on Billy the Kid. None of us are perfect, especially me. And like I said at the very beginning of this episode, there is so much legend surrounding the story of Billy the Kid that the average person is going to have a very hard time discerning between what's historically accurate or just Hollywood fluff. Case in point. You can't tell me that your mind wasn't at least a little bit blown when you learned that John Tunstall was only 24 years old when he got killed, right? But how would you have known that unless you relied on sources other than the movies or the legends? You wouldn't have. The idea that Billy escaped death is part of that legend. I can't and won't deny that. It is part of his story, plain and simple. And it is fun to talk about. But it does not line up with any of the actual evidence. By the way, I'm not speaking ill of the movies. They are there to entertain, not educate. These guys aren't making documentaries, and every writer and director out there is always going to put their own unique spin on things. I get that. And even the most historically inaccurate movies can still be a lot of fun. But yeah, in a nutshell, all of this is why I'm relatively certain that Pat Garrett killed the kid. And when it comes to everything else, I do think there is a lot that should be questioned. Was Billy really armed with a pistol and a butcher knife when he was killed? How did he really spend his last moments? You know, was he truly at the Gutierrez house? Had he really been in that orchard, like Garrett claimed? Did Billy really wander off half-dressed in his socks looking to get a slab of meat for dinner? Did he really just stumble into Pete Maxwell's room asking KNS? And if Billy was armed, did he raise his pistol, giving Pat no choice? Or did Garrett gun him down completely in cold blood? Did Pat Garrett dictate the wording of that coroner's jury? Or did Alejandro Segura write it all on his own? Was Alejandro Segura related to the comedian Tom Segura? What happened to the original finding that Segura wrote in Spanish? And speaking of that coroner's jury, at what point in time did they view Billy's body? And at what point did the citizens of Fort Sumner take over and prepare the kid for burial? There's a lot of questions, and the more I learn, the more I really think that we don't have solid answers for a lot of this shit. Also, further confusing matters is how many of these witnesses have conflicting stories, and some of these stories have changed over time. Memory is a funny thing, and I do think some of these people who wrote books did so with questionable intent. That said, as much as their stories may have evolved, not a single one of them ever denied that Garrett killed the kid. That was the one constant, the one detail that never changed. Nobody who was there ever disputed that Billy the Kid was dead. So I don't know what the hell happened at Fort Sumner. Uh, I can't tell you the precise chain of events, but I do feel like, given what we know, we can at very least ascertain that, yes, Pat Garrett did indeed kill Billy the Kid. How and under what circumstances? I got no fucking clue, but he killed him. Okay, so why did I record this episode, especially considering how I've discussed a lot of this already in the past few months? My apologies if you're tired of hearing about it. I assure you that I'm about tired of talking about it. But I did want to make a standalone episode just going over the evidence and dispelling a few of these myths. Just in case people who don't follow the Wild West extravaganza wanted a quick resource without having to go back and listen to all that other stuff. By the way, if you're new here, first of all, hi, my name's Josh, and this is the Wild West extravaganza. But not too long ago, I released a five-part series on the life of Billy the Kid. His early years, his experience in the Lincoln County War, his life as an outlaw, and his death. I also did a bonus episode on all his pals and enemies, Doc Scarlock, Chavez, Jimmy Dolan, etc. And most recently, we've done the series on Pat Garrett, where we spoke again extensively on The Kid. I think there's something like five or six hours of audio that I've recorded just on Billy the Kid alone. And that's not including what I've done on Brushy Bill Roberts. 
You know, it's interesting. My stance on Brushy Bill is completely independent of Pat Garrett. I am of the belief that we can take Garrett completely out of the equation and even go so far as to pretend that he did not kill Billy. And we can still prove 100% that Brushy Bill Roberts was not the kid. At the same time, we can also remove any debate about Pat Garrett's character, his integrity or lack thereof, when discussing Billy's death. I know so many people are just blinded by the idea of Pat Garrett bad that they can't hear or see anything after that. If Pat Garrett claimed to have killed Billy, then it must not be true. It's my position that Pat could have been a total monster, a rank liar, a drunk, a you name it. But that still doesn't change the fact that all those other people saw Billy's dead body. Or that Garrett was ultimately recognized by the territory of New Mexico, both private citizens and elected officials, as being the man that killed Billy the Kid. And he was rewarded as such. Now we're almost done, I promise, but before we wrap up, just a couple more things. I know we're all biased to a certain degree, no matter what. That's just human nature. But I do want to state that I don't think Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid just because I want that to be the truth or because I think Pat was some sort of amazing guy. Likewise, I'm not dismissing the anecdotal stories because I don't like them. I'm simply coming to these conclusions using documented evidence and corroborated eyewitness accounts, as opposed to the unproven, fun, anecdotal stories. That's all. And if you still don't agree with my take after hearing all of this, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, that's fine. We should question the narrative. We should second-guess the so-called experts or even dummies like me with a podcast. I hope you keep digging and trying to prove that Garrett was a fraud. I don't think you'll succeed, but your diligent research may uncover other interesting things, like the answers to some of those questions I posed a moment ago. That's the cool thing about history. There's so much we do not know. And there's always hope. When it comes to any of these people, Billy the Kid, Jesse James, whoever, I truly think we are one dusty box or trunk in a basement away from shattering revelations. One simple discovery could change the entire story. And I am very open to that happening. I mean, even on a personal level, just a few months ago, a cousin of mine gave me an old tin cigar box containing letters from the Civil War, written by a great, 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 great uncle of mine as he was serving. I never even knew these letters existed. They've just been sitting around in a tiny little tin box. Who's to say that there aren't similar tin boxes or containers with letters written by some of the very people who lived right there at Fort Sumner in 1881? Old letters that maybe even Pat Garrett or his deputies wrote, just lying around waiting to be discovered. Or even correspondence from Billy the Kid himself. New revelations can and will happen. And when they do, I'm here for it. And besides, wherever you stand on this issue, whether you agree with me or not, if you're listening to my voice right now, it's likely because you're passionate about the Old West. Our disagreement over the death of Billy the Kid does not change the fact that we agree on so much more. And it certainly doesn't mean we can't be friends or at very least cordial with one another. There's a very small minority of people out there, angry individuals who live unfulfilled lives, who take this stuff very personally. And they can get a little nasty. I doubt any of them have made it to this point in the episode. And if you run into them, just ignore them. They're oftentimes operating out of bad faith anyway. And you'd be better off having a discussion with a damn rock in the middle of a field somewhere. And there are others who, while perfectly nice people, will nevertheless hold steadfast to the idea that Billy the Kid was not killed by Pat Garrett. No matter what. 
There's absolutely nothing I or anyone else could possibly say. No amount of evidence that will sway their thinking. And that's okay, too. Like I keep saying, man, this legend is as much a part of Billy's story as everything else. Whether the historians like it or not. And it's this legend that keeps many of us coming back for more. You're welcome to reach out. Josh at WildWestExtra.com with any questions, comments, or rebuttals. But I do think it's time we mosey on to another topic here at the Wild West Extravaganza. For now, at least. Also, just one more thing. I promise. Uh, I do want to say it is never my intention to come off as some sort of a know-it-all when the reality of the situation is I am very dumb. (laughs) I am about a couple of brain cells away, seriously, from being on disability. I'm more of a know-nothing at all, okay? So I never want to come off sounding like I know more than you. My job is just to gather the information and present it to you in what's hopefully an accurate and entertaining way. Lord knows I'm not always successful on either front, but that's what I try to do. Part of that process is looking at all the information that I can find from credible, non-crazy people sources and then attempt to separate fact from fiction. 99% of the time, I'm learning about these people right along with you. I don't put out these episodes as a gotcha, like, hey, look at me, I read books. It's more of a holy shit. I never knew that. This is really interesting. I can't wait to tell you about it. When it comes to both Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, I've learned a fuck ton this year. Mostly thanks to amazing researchers and authors and historians who've done all the legwork for me. Like I said, all I'm doing is attempting to present it to you in a way that doesn't come off sounding like some boring lecture. So yeah, that's about all I've got. I hope you found this helpful, or at least interesting. If you'd like to learn more about the real-life people and events from the Old West, please head on over to wildwestextra.com. Just this year alone, we've covered the Mountain Man Jim Bridger, Cherokee Bill, Liver Eaton Johnson, Al Swearingen, Wyatt Earp's Adventures in Hollywood, and a lot more. And we still got three months left in 2023. I am actively working on an episode on Harry Tracy, as well as the Glanton Gang of Blood Meridian fame, Uh, I'm not sure if either of those will be ready next Wednesday, but daddy's going to try. If not, then don't worry. I do have a little something else up my sleeve for you. You'll be getting something next Wednesday. Just don't know what yet. Don't know if it's going to be the present you asked Santa for or a bag of socks, but you'll get something. Till then, go on over and check out some of the older stuff, wildwestextra.com. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a member of Into History, please join the discussion over at the Discord. Link in the show notes. All right, till next time, as my friend Michael from Texas History Lessons likes to say, be nice to one another. Adios. I am not a historian. Hey, we'll get back to the story in just a moment, but first, I gotta be honest with you. I'm doing this full-time now. The Wild West extravaganza is, as we speak, my job. And to tell you the truth, this is sort of a gamble. I'm gambling on myself, and I'm gambling on you. 
to make this work and to continue bringing you true tales from the wild and woolly west in an unfiltered and uncensored fashion, I'm going to need your support. And at this moment, the absolute best way you can support the Wild West extravaganza is by becoming a member of Into History. Into History is a podcast subscription channel made by history lovers for history lovers. Not only will you get to listen to the Wild West Extravaganza ad-free, but you'll gain early access before anyone else. You'll also get bonus content. There is currently Wild West Extravaganza content on Into History that you cannot hear anywhere else, not even on Patreon. And there's a lot more to come. You'll also get to participate in the book club, the community forum, the upcoming live streaming events, and best of all, you won't have to hear my annoying-ass voice break into the middle of a story like I'm doing right now. And guess what? You also get everything I just mentioned from all the other shows in the Into History universe, offering the same perks. Come on, what are you waiting for? Go to intohistory.com forward slash Wild West Extra. That's intohistory.com forward slash Wild West Extra to become a member today. I love you, and thank you very much for assisting me in helping to keep the Old West alive. Back to the show.